0: There we are. Okay. I was thinking we'd have a very short sermon today because I couldn't find my iPad. So, I'm going, well, don't worry. I always have an extra copy in my Bible. So, just in case, in case it dies. Okay. Well, we are coming to the end of a long journey that we've been on now for six months, looking at the book of Acts. Today is the end. Aren't you excited? No? No? Well, I'm kind of excited because we come to an you know, end of one thing. It means we begin something else soon. Uh, next couple of weeks, uh, a couple of other staff are going to be speaking as uh, my wife and I take some vacation time and go visit our family. And then we start a whole new series at the end of July uh, for five weeks that talks about uh, the, the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? You know, when you, if you could define what a Christian is, what would it be? And so we're going to be looking at that uh, for five weeks uh, starting then. And so... We'll be talking about that. Um, How many of you like to read? Anybody here like to read? Read books? Good. You're the smart people. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, No, reading is important, right? It's important. Uh, I love to read because, uh, you know, it'd be weird to be a pastor, a teaching pastor, and teach people and not like to read. Uh, anybody who teaches people usually likes to read, uh, read things as well. But the issue is, is uh, you know, one of the things that I do know is what a good book is. I love good books. A good book always has what a great intro that grabs your attention, and, and it kind of kind of tells you, kind of gives you an idea of where you're going. And then, and then what it does, it, it has a bunch of different, it has a main plot and then some underlying plots that kind of fold together. I love, uh, people like, uh, Tom Clancy, uh, there's a guy named David Baldacci, he's from Virginia, by the way, he's a great writer, uh, had a bunch of top, you no, know, he's kind of like a Clancy type, a bunch of books, uh, Robert Ludlam, those type of books. I'm usually reading three and four books at the same time, I am right now as well. I read two or three for ministry, I read at least one book for, uh, for fun. You know, in the evenings I'll pull it out and read a few chapters. And that's the cool thing about an iPad now. I'm not trying to sell them, by the way. But the issue is, is that because I have like, I have like 50, 60 books on here right now that I can actually, uh, some of them I've read, uh, some of them I haven't read. Um, And so it's it's really good. But you know, the one good thing about a book too is that when you come to the end of a good book, what does it always have? Come on. It's called a conclusion. Thank you. A conclusion. It comes to the end and has a conclusion. It wraps things together. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you today as we conclude the book of Acts, the conclusion in Acts is horrible. You know, it really is. It really doesn't have a conclusion. It doesn't wrap anything up, but there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that today. And so we want to kind of, what I want to do is kind of talk about where we've been. And then what the book of Acts has tried to teach us as we conclude the book of Acts today after six months of being, going through the book of Acts the study of that. You might need your Bibles today because I'm not going to have everything on the screen. I'm going to have a few things on the screen here and there and other things I'm just going to refer to and read. But uh, you, I hope you'll be able to follow along. And, and they gave me plenty of time today, so I don't have to worry about time. Uh, I looked at the time and I'm going, wow, this is the earliest I've been up to speak in a long time. Uh, so... Uh, This morning, uh, we want to begin that. You know, as we began many months ago studying the book of Acts, uh, the story begins in the book of Acts just past the very first Easter Sunday. Uh, What had happened was the disciples had been hiding because they were afraid that what happened to Jesus might happen to them, that they might get crucified. They were concerned about that, and so they were hiding It said in an upper room. And then Jesus appeared to them, and said. And then over the next 40 days, he encouraged them regularly. He, he talked to them. He taught them. And, and, and until they were ready to receive their commission, their, their marching orders about what's next. And then we, he took them to a hill outside of Jerusalem. And we read what he said in Acts 1.8. We read the commission that Jesus gave to them. And Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we've said that for the last, I mean, how many times have I used that verse? At least probably every Sunday for the last um, six months. Because that verse is the key, that is the plot, that that is the theme, that is what really is the shape of the book of Acts. If you want to know and want to know what the outline of the book of Acts is, right there it is. It serves as an outline for the entire book. It basically says this. It says, Jesus, he looked at his disciples and he said, you common everyday people, you grimy fishermen, you outcast tax collectors, you religious zealots from the extremities of life, you who once doubted me and called me crazy, you who cursed me one minute and praised me the next minute, you common people, guess what? You shall be my witnesses. You will spearhead a movement that shall explode throughout the world and throughout history like an open fire hydrant and spill into the streets of Rome and Istanbul and Peoria and Chicago and Madrid. You'll go to all these places and it's going to be a movement that goes everywhere. You shall be a part of a movement that's so mighty so heart-changing that 2,000 years from now, some people in a town called Germantown Hills in Illinois will study a book about what happened to you, and they'll not only study the book, but they'll ask a question. And that question is this, does God still do what he did in that book? Does, does God still take common people like you and me and use us to change the world? That's the question. You know, the reason we looked at the book of Acts is not so we can say, oh, that was a great story. That was a really cool story. The reason we looked at the book of Acts was because we need to ask ourselves the question, does God still do that? Does he still take common, everyday people like us? And we're common, everyday people, right? I mean, I don't have any, uh, you know, any special link to God. I don't have his email address. You know, I don't have any special hotline to God other than that you don't have. The thing is, is that, is that we're common everyday people, and we're people that sit in the bleachers. We go to work. We try to raise our families, and we wonder if God would do through us what he did through them. Would he do today what he did then? And so over the last six months, what we've done is ask the question, you know, what did he do then? And will he do it now? He took common everyday people from various backgrounds and people groups and turned them into a force for change. You know, as we began to read through this, and we began to look through Acts chapter 2, Acts, the book of Acts, we came to Acts chapter 2 after he gives them the commission. It says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The birth of the church happens. The church was what? It was not a building. It was a people group. It was people coming together. It's about God taking people, empowering them, and sending them out to do something for Him. The church didn't begin on a mountaintop. You know, it didn't become with some kind of a, uh, you know, somebody up there way away from somewhere. It didn't begin, uh, you know, somewhere uh, in some isolated valley. He placed His people right in the middle of one of the busiest cities in the world at that time on one of the busiest days of the year. That's when the church started in Jerusalem. And we read Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 11, and we, we read the words there, and it says that, that, that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and and they began to do something that they could not do before. They began to speak to disciples, the ones who followed Christ, could speak in languages, tongues, that they couldn't speak before. This was not this was unheard of in that world. It's like all of a sudden, you know, you guys, you, I, I go to Spain, and I can always all of a sudden speak French, uh, French. No, I can't speak French. I can speak Spanish, right? You know, I can't speak Spanish. I studied French. I studied Greek, but I don't know Spanish at all. But, you know, all of a sudden they could do this. The thing was amazing, and you read Acts, this first part of the Acts, chapter in Acts, is he took them and they began to hear, it says, the wonders of God in their own language. There was at least 15 people groups present here in this, in this first setting of the first church. And the people began to ask the question, when they began to hear the wonders of God in their own language, they asked the question, what does this mean? What does this mean that we can do this? And I believe that from the very beginning, one of the things it meant was this, is that God loves every nation, every people group, every person from a different ethnic background. It was God's plan that each group, that they would hear the wonders of God in their own language. You see, it has never been God's plan that everyone look the same or act the same or talk the same. It's never been His plan. There is not one nation... That has a monopoly on God or one people group that has a monopoly on God a relationship with God it's not that we look the same or act the same it's just that we look in the same direction to Jesus Christ and so God in, in the very first church with 15 at least 15 different people groups there he speaks through the different disciples and each disciple could speak a different language and understand a different culture and speak into that culture of the wonders of God, it says. Isn't that amazing what God can do with common, everyday people? These weren't people who had a lot of education. These weren't people who who were special in any way other than the fact that they said they were going to be a follower of God. And what was the message of that first day that everybody shared? It says in verse 20, uh, 36 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Lord. And Messiah. It was a Jesus-centered message from day one. It was all about Jesus. It was all about what God did through Jesus Christ. And, and, and it says in Acts chapter 2 that that day over 3,000 people said that day to Peter, and when they heard the message that he spoke, I believe you, Peter, I believe that this Jesus is the way, and the church began. And that was the launching of the church we studied you know, months and months and months ago. And what did the first church do? What, what did they do? What did the first church look like? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see just a little, and if you want to know what the first church kind of looks like in a little uh, synopsis, the cleft version of it, it the, verses 42 through 47. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They hung out together a lot. They liked each other. They weren't so busy that they couldn't find time for one another. And it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then it says this, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was amazing because here we have 15 different people groups coming together, people of all ages, all backgrounds. I mean, there was white collar workers, blue collar workers. There were people who, you know, uh, you could think of anything they did, and they came together there. There was potential for conflict in every relationship, and the question early on, and that is this: I said, how could these people, these diverse of these diverse backgrounds, work together? And the question for us is this. How can people of diverse back backgrounds work together today? I mean, one of the most segregated days of the week is what day of the week? Sunday. Sadly. I mean, the question is, can Hispanics work together with Anglos? Can African-Americans work together with Hispanics? Can Anglos work together with African-Americans? Can Democrats and Republicans get along? I don't believe so either. See, we live in a world that struggles with conflict. And they were able to find unity and community in the first century church. How did they do it? I mean, you know, something that's interesting to me is sometimes we think there's certain things that are really important for the church. And sometimes I'm asking, did the early church have any of these things? You know, the early church did all this without aid of church buildings, without seminaries, without clergy, without... Baptistries without church buses. None of those. They had none of those things. What did they have? They had a place that wasn't even their own where they met together, the temple courts, it said. They did find a common place to meet together. And they had their houses. That's it. And they had a common purpose and a common cause. See, something wonderful can happen when two people sit down at the same table with a common purpose. Walls break down, community opens up, bridges are built. Hospitality was a huge part of the early church, and sometimes I think we miss out on that. And I've shared this a thousand times, and I'll share it a thousand times more, is that I think one of Satan's greatest weapons in our world today is to keep us so busy that we never have time for anybody else. We just need to slow down, folks. The early church understood the importance of gathering together, of meeting together, of, of talking about common things, of saying, hey, how can we work together for this? You know there's a similar root between the word hospitality and hospital? Similar root word. See, when you practice hospitality, you turn your home into a hospital. It's a place where healing and encouragement can take place. That's what the early church did. It's so simple, sometimes we might miss it. They had this large, that's the early church, they had, we see it in Acts. They had this large church gathering, like here on a Sunday morning, except they had it met in the temple courts. And then they met house to house. That was their strategy. And it says, in the midst of that, because they had this common purpose, this common thing, and they practiced this, that people began to see them in a different way, and that people began to be attracted to that, and the gospel began to spread all throughout Jerusalem. And the interesting thing was is that as it spread, sometimes it happens, while it attracted many people, it offended other people as well. You know, the gospel is most, are both attractive and offensive. You ever found that to be true? I mean, if you are open to share your faith with someone else, some people are very open to it. They want to hear something that, you know, but some people are very offended by it. And they found it to be true because as the church grew and spread, its influence began to spread in the city of Jerusalem, all because of that growth of the church, there arose persecution. And we read about that in Acts, chapter, in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, and we read about the persecution. And because of the growth of the church, there arose this persecution. But, you know, so often in life, if, we're, if things people push back, what do we do? We kind of withdraw many times. But it didn't stop in the early church. The early church didn't allow the persecution to cause it to withdraw. It caused it to expand. And truly my favorite passage, uh, chapter in all of Acts is Acts chapter 8. Because it's a really cool chapter. Because at that point in time, up to that point in time, the church had been all about Jerusalem and Judea. Remember the, Acts one eight: Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria... Ends of the earth. Okay, thank you. Okay, I just want to see if you're awake. And and the thing is, is that it was there. But they'd been kind of hanging out in Jerusalem and Judea. Judea was kind of the county around them, okay? Just the the local, locality. And they'd been hanging out there, and they'd been, the church had been growing. But God's plan, and Jesus gave them the commission from day one, was it's not just about your Jerusalem and your Judea. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, share the gospel there, be my witnesses there, but also in Samaria, which means in places where people are not like you. And then to the ends of the earth, wherever that might be. And, and what it took in early church is sometimes God has to prod us to do the things that we need to be done. needs to be done, right? God's never prodded you to do anything, right? Yeah, He has. He's done some things. You know, sometimes he, he allows things to happen in your life that just kind of makes you rethink some things. And so what happened here, the persecution took place. And we read in chapter 8 uh, th- these words. It said, On that day a great persecution Broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They just didn't go into hiding. They began to preach the word, began to be a witness wherever they went. And then it tells the story of about one specific person. And we've been through this. If you've been here with us, if not, you can go back and look at all the podcasts. Um, it says in verse five, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Now this was hugely important, and we don't get it because we didn't grow up in that culture. But the issue was was that Samaria, as we studied earlier, was a place where there was a great, great, there's huge racial prejudice between Jewish people and Samaritans. Huge pressure. I mean, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even acknowledge one another. And they looked down upon each other. And so for him to go and Philip to go down to the Samaria, this Jewish guy to go to Samaria, it broke a barrier. It broke through the, ra- the barrier of prejudice. And we see once again that God's plan begins to emerge. And it was not because these were special people. It was because they were people empowered, it says, by the Holy Spirit, which God promises to all of us when we come to follow Christ. And so that his plan begins to work. And then later on in... Um, In chapter 8, verse 26, not only does he go to Samaria, but it says, And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is the desert place. And he rose and went there. And there was this Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And we can look at that story. And where was Ethiopia? It was not exactly next door, it wasn't Samaria. Where was it? It was the ends of the earth. This is where the gospel, you began to see the gospel, the, the purpose, the mission fleshed out here in the story. And it's so cool because it happens so quickly here. One guy, Philip, begins to break these two barriers. And he does it just along the way as he's going there. And, and as you look at the story, and we I'll have a, time, a lot of time this morning to look at it, but the story of Philip and this Ethiopian, when you look at them, these were two people who were so different that it's amazing that they had this conversation. Philip was Jewish. He was probably a a laborer, a common laborer from what we know. He was a family man. It says later on we learn he has four daughters. He, He comes from this background, of very religious background, the Ethiopian. He was from Ethiopia. He was... Probably black and skin tone, darker skin tone. He, he, It says he was a eunuch, which means what? We won't go into all that right now. But a eunuch, basically he had chosen a lifestyle that had, meant he would never have kids and never have a family because he was committing himself totally to the the service for the government. And so he had none of those things. He had no no religious background as far as we know even though he at this point was was exploring it as well. He had a totally different background. He also was a guy who was high ranking in the government. He had a he was a person of prominence. He probably uh, traveled with an entourage. You know, he probably like one of their, you know, the movie star nowadays that travels with a whole bunch of people around them, you know, and, and it's got a bunch, you know, it's really an important, important person. Two totally extremely different persons. And we see God, once again, breaking through the barriers by using people, common people, in the book of Acts to break through these barriers. Now, all the time this was happening, and the church was expanding, back in Jerusalem, there was this guy named Saul. And this guy named Saul... Uh, was causing all kinds of problems. You remember we studied this. And Saul, who later became Paul, uh, before he became Paul, though, the Christians had learned to duck at the sight of Saul because he was bad news. He was a guy who was after every Christian. But we see how God changed Saul into Paul, who became the greatest missionary in history. And, And it's amazing to me that... Think how God does this because God had a plan for Saul's life from day one because God had, God had been equipping Saul to become Paul since the day he was born. He was born in Tarsus in the Mediterranean he, area. He was had an awareness of the region. He understood not only the language of the people, but he spoke fluent Greek. He, um, he was born with a Roman passport in his pocket. He had a skill to make tents. He had everything he needed to become a traveling missionary even before he knew Christ. All he needed to become a missionary for Jesus Christ was to have Jesus in his life, and on the road, as he was going on the road to Tarsus, we read how he became, um, he ex- he followed Jesus Christ, he accepted Jesus Christ, and he became a missionary. And all the rest of the Book of Acts that we've been studying basically was the story. From then on, was the story about how on his shoulders the gospel was carried to every known major city in the world at that time because over the next 30 years and we've read this and it doesn't seem like 30 years in here but it's 30 years that happened over the next 30 years churches would be planted in every strategic city and seaport in the first century mediterranean world galatia ephesus corinth rome macedonia so forth and so on Paul became a tireless traveler, and he, everywhere he went, he sowed the seeds of the gospel that bears fruit to this day. And that's where we've been over the last six months. Well, that was quick, wasn't it? You're going, like, building. why'd it take us six months to cover that? Because we looked at it in a little more detail. And I'll tell you the truth, the, the fact is, is that I could have taken twice as long to cover that because I skipped over a lot of good stuff. I uh, hit highlights of the book of Acts, all 28 chapters. And we come today to the final couple of verses in the book of Acts. And, and as I shared earlier, you know, good, good, I, I thought Acts had a great you know, story. It opened in a great way. A gripping story gives us an outline, Acts 1-8. It has all the plots and subplots run throughout it. And then, you know, like any good book, it comes to a conclusion. But this would not be, I would consider a conclusion that I would really be excited. It was kind of like, how many of you, anybody here Star Wars fans? Anybody? All two of you? Okay, me too. You know, what drove me crazy is the first Star Wars movie years and years ago, about 100 years ago. Um, uh, It seems like it is now. You know the first one, you remember how it ended? Oh, it was horrible. I mean, it just ends and and nothing's concluded and everything's kind of like just hanging out there and you're going like, what? And you know that the next one's going to be two years away before you get to know what happens to Luke Skywalker. That's kind of how Acts ends. <laughs> Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Okay, Paul's been doing this stuff. You know, where you're going like, okay, what's the big conclusion? For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house in Rome and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. No conclusion. No conclusion. Just like the continuing story, like Star Trek, our continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to go where no man has gone before. I know Star Trek. (laughs) The issue is, it's it's kind of that kind of a story. There's no conclusion. You know why it's no conclusion? Because the Book of Acts is a story of the beginning of the church, not the conclusion. The conclusion of the church will not take place until Revelation. And you know why? Because we are the continuing story of the book of Acts. We, it's not just about a bunch of people back then, it's not just a historical document, it's the beginning of what we are a part of today. The church is a continuation of the story of Acts. God has called us to the exact same mission that He called the early church to in Acts 1-8. When you become a believer, you will be my witness. The Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witness. Where? Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem around here? It's called Germantown Hills, Washington, Peoria, East Peoria. You just name any place you're from. Okay, everybody right now together. We're going to make sure we're all the way. Everybody together, I just want you to say where you live, okay? Everybody, one time it will be like confusion, okay? Right now, one, two, three. And that sounded really strange. I heard Washington, you know, you're all over the place. That's your Jerusalem. That's your Jerusalem. It says you, if you're a believer, you call yourself a believer, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a Christian in a few weeks. If you call yourself a believer, your mission from God is that you will start off by being a believer and a follower and a witness in your Jerusalem. Now, the Judea, it's, it's tri-county area, okay? Let's just use that. Woodford, Taswell, and Peoria counties. That is our Judea. Samaria, that's the, the region that's out around us in other ways, a little bit further out. It might be, you know, a place across the state. It may be a city down the road. It may be, you know, some of the places the kids went to when they went on their, their uh, mission trip this summer. And where are the ends of the earth? Anywhere that people did not know Jesus Christ. Same mission. Let me tell you why that's important because that is the strategy that Great Oaks has right now as well. We have said in Jerusalem, we want to be affecting people in our community for Christ. And not only, it's not just about bringing people into this church. This is just a launching pad for ministry. This is all this is. This is not what we're, this is not the purpose. This is just a place to be encouraged, motivated, trained, and sent out. So you can go in Jerusalem, where you live every day, in Judea, where you live every day, and begin to be the witnesses that God has called us to be. And, and so we, we've developed ministries. I think it's a cool thing. You know, uh, we, we have ministries. We, we're doing it in, in August. We're doing this thing. It's a community bash. You know why we're doing a community bash? So all of us can come together and have a good time. That's a side issue. That's not the purpose of the community bash. The purpose of the community bash is this. At the end of August. It's a day where we're going to have some community things going on here. And the purpose for you as a believer in Christ is that you could invite your neighbors to a place where they can have fun. It's non-threatening. And you can connect with them. Ultimately, to help them to know who Jesus Christ is. So you have a purpose. Between now and August 20-something, 6th, 5th, something like the 5th. Is that right? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Uh Twenty fifth, your mission is to invite as many people possible they'll go to church anywhere else to community Bash and say, "Hey, not only would I like to invite you to come, but I would to be there to hang out with you." Okay? We' try to make it as simple as possible. And then we have other things that we do people and serve people in the community. All kind of community things that are ongoing, like the, like the, we, we work with the snack pack ministry here, and with the community Guard that's going on back there, and we work with the Puri rescue and All kind of different things that we got going on here in our Jerusalem, Judea. And the purpose is not just to serve people's needs, the purpose, the purpose is to serve people's needs so that we can eventually have an open door to share Christ with them. Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria! You know, I mean, it's cool this summer that our kids. I thought it was really cool when they they, a couple of weeks ago and they shared about what was going on, Uh, what they they went off for these mission trips and they went to what seven different cities. I I don't have enough seven different cities, and they saw stuff and they were so excited. They're going like, "We don't have to go to the whole end of the world. It's right down the street." Yeah, it's down the street too. But we are called to go to the end of the world as well. It's not either or. It's both and. And, you know, that's, that's great. I'm glad our kids got that awareness, and I hope all of us will have that awareness as, as well. But one of the things we want to do is more, more than make just a one-week impact on people. We, want to, we believe our strategy is this, and I've already been in process, and I'll let you know this. This, this is something where, that's on the horizon for the future at Great Oaks, is we believe that planting new churches in other areas around us are the way to reach people for Christ. It's always been the way. Paul let's practice it back in back in acts and we practice it today so i've been in contact with uh, uh, one other church heartland community church over in bloomington and he the pastor there and myself are beginning a process of saying how can we regionally begin to plant churches around us and partner together to do that i'm hoping to partner with a couple of other churches to do the same thing that we were not just on our own but how can we plant other churches in places that that there's not a lot of churches at are not a huge Christian influence. And we're praying about where those places may be in our Samaria. That's the next step in what we're doing. It's part of what our purpose is at Great Oaks. And that's why I said to you last year, you know, my vision for the, for the church at Great Oaks is this. As we pay off our debt, that we don't just keep spending it on ourselves, that we realize that we have this mission. And that mission is to free up resources so that we can reach Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And in the ends of the earth, I mean, we've already had a strategy for a while. Folks, I, hey, Bath students, thank you for being here. We're, we're glad you're here. We are. We love you. And our family, loves you. Our family here love you, and wanted, but, we, but we love you so much that we want to share Christ with you too. And we know that right up front. And I went to Africa this year, and I'm going like, that is a cool place. God's opening doors in Africa for us there too. And then, and then our students last year went to Honduras. And right now we have one of our students is over there for six months in Honduras. And so we have this strategy of beginning strategically to connect with different places across the world where we can ultimately plant churches there as well. See, it's that same... Mission, that same strategy that God gave us in Acts 1 8. He told us back earlier, He said, Love God, love people, but how you do that is that you be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's why we've studied the book of Acts. That's why we can have a picture, a big picture of what it means to be the church, not only then, but now. So the question is can God still do what He did then? Can He? I don't see much response here, folks. You know, can he? Can he still do now what he did then? Was that just a one-time occurrence back in the book of Acts? That's not what he says. He says, for every believer that comes to follow me, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you can be my witnesses wherever you go. And God will give you passions. I mean, some of you give a passion for local ministry. Some he gives you a passion for, for uh, ministry somewhere else. Some, some for pa- God puts us together for a purpose. Can he take common, everyday people and use us to change the world? One of the things I did while I was doing this series is I always listened to other pastors as well and their messages, you know, that teach on the same stuff just to get a feeling. I listened to about five different, every week I listened to at least five different pastors. You're going like, man, you must really be a glutton for punishment. But, you know, I listened to five different pastors' messages on, on different portions of Acts, and one of the things I think was really cool was the church in uh, uh, Max Licato's church in San Antonio, Texas, Oak Hill's church, Um Every week they did this prayer at the church at the beginning of this message. And I think it's a prayer we're going to close with this morning. So I'd ask you, let's put it up on the screen first of all. Next slide. This is a prayer they prayed every week at church. It says, Dear Lord, thank you for your wonderful acts. What you did then would you do again? What you did through them would you do through us? Is that your prayer? Let's close by standing together. And saying that prayer together as our commitment to God. And just follow along with me as we we do this prayer. Dear Lord, you can say it out loud. Let's start again. Okay, I know we don't do this very often, but uh, this is probably the first time ever in the history of Great Oaks we've done this, but we can do this. This is uh, a together prayer. It means you speak it verbally to God. Okay? Dear Lord. Thank you for your wonderful acts. What you did then, would you do again. What you did through them, would you do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. May that be our prayer. And may God do exactly what we just said.